Partially Examined Life Philosophy Podcast Part 1 episodes are designed to be self-contained, fully satisfying experiences in themselves. But for hardcore philosophy fans, we record for another hour or so to release behind our various paywalls to folks that pitch in to help us make this show. What you're about to hear is a preview of one of these Part 2 episodes. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, this is Episode 277, Part 2 our last treatment for the moment of Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit, talking about force and the understanding. Let's go. So in 137, we begin by positing force as a substance or as a one. We get back to the same sort of dynamic that we've had in the other sections of the one versus the many problem. And in this case, it turns out that Hegel argues that the matters or the properties in a way must be inside of the force rather than outside it, because they are what in a way, solicits the force to express itself. I don't know how to put that in an example. Isn't this a little bit just the action-reaction kind of thing of a collision, right? That when the billiard ball hits the rail, then it solicits a reaction from the rail against it. We're back to the situation of, you know, we were discussing a little bit before where we're, we're tempted to think of one thing as forcing and the other forced. And so the matters, the properties, or whatever phenomena are governed by the force come about in response to that force. But the idea here is that the force doesn't act until the expression is upon it in a way, or the two things coincide, meaning that unless you push on the wall, the wall isn't going to resist, so to speak. So the very phenomenon of the wall having a resistant force in it is dependent in some way or it's solicited by my hand touching and pushing on it, which is what I normally want to think of as the matters or in other words, the effect, right? I'm thinking of my hand receiving pressure as the effect and the wall as the force, but my hand actually solicits the force to do that to me and to the hand. And then it's going to be vice versa as well. In an important way, Hegel is pointing out how profound the Newton's third law is here, right? That for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction. He is articulating how profound that insight is. Yeah, suppose for a moment there weren't. What would that mean, (laughs) right? What would it mean to push something if there were no equal and opposite reaction? Well, you would be in this funny position of having to talk about where the sources of things are. And um, where the sinks are, but they're not connected to one another. You have like spontaneous generation out of nothing. This is one of the ways in which I think that Hegel, again, we're tied back to the wholeness of something, not necessarily with it being a one, but a whole, where the sheer existence of the world as a rationally consumable thing almost requires this. Hegel isn't putting it this way, but I mean, he's going to get us to that. I can't have power over something, right, unless it resists me or I can't apply force to something unless it resists me because if I am trying to push something and there's no resistance what happens does my hand simply go through the thing there's no interaction you can't affect you it. don't affect it so you, <laughs> yes. you right Cal Cabbage's commentary does a great job of highlighting what Dylan said about just the profound insight that is the third law but dialectically I want to just distinguish what Hegel's what he's saying here is Your first step is you think, well, there must be that force in the wall and it's a thing 
it's a one. It's a medium through which the wall expresses its force. There's something outside of that that acts on it. It's a separate thing. It's outside of it. But in reality, there's a necessity to the two things coming together, which dissolves the distinction between the two and makes them a unity. He's making a really powerful metaphysical claim on the basis of this physical law, namely that from the perspective of understanding, to try to think about multiple different forces that are somehow separate and independent and acting that one acts on the other is incoherent. But that's how we start off thinking about it. We start thinking about it that way. But in reality, what you get is action and reaction are really reaction and action. And he uses this as a lever to dissolve, again, the unity and the plurality question. One of the things that Cal Cavage, thank you for recommending that, by the way, Wes, that he points out is that there's this cycle of unity, plurality, unity, plurality, unity, plurality, that Hegel is taking us through all of these. You posit the unity, you posit the one, you take that as you're given, then you find out, wait, no, that doesn't work, and you keep going through. And this is just a brilliant, he's using the exact same structure, but he's now elevated it. And when you think about it in those terms, these first three stages, sense, certainty, perception, and force, actually now hang together, I think, quite a bit more tightly. They make a lot more sense, even though this is by far the most difficult section to this point that we've read to understand. I mean, it's brilliant. I really love this. I really love at least Cal Cavage's version of it. That, <laughs> so, but yes. What is the name of that book? If you're going to keep talking about it. The Logic of Desire. Yeah. He also comments, and Dylan, I think you were about to jump in on this, is that Hegel is directly referring to scientific advancements that were current in his time, like things that Leibniz and some other scientists were coming up with. He's trying to find a way to philosophically or scientifically, as he calls it, explain these things which have been observed and explained. <laughs> I'm doing scare quotes. Explained in what we'll come to find out later on is really just description more than explanation, right? To me, talking about it this way also brings home the way in which, I don't know, Kant onward are dealing with how impressed they are with the success of Newtonian physics. Kant wanting to save Newtonian physics for explaining the world from Humean skepticism, and then Hegel still running with that, having a different take on it. The really interesting thing from 137 to 139 is that the concept between soliciting and being solicited or between active and passive breaks down because as we've seen each of the two entities involved in a force interaction could equally in a way be called the one or the force Mm -hmm. and each could be called the effect they're each correlated to the other so the whole idea of he doesn't use the words cause and effect but you could think of it that way too i mean there are important distinctions to be made between this and cause and effect but you could Treat the cause as the effect and the effect as the cause. The two are just mutually interacting. And so that, you know, the way Hegel will put it is that you get this alternation of determinations, soliciting and solicited. One passes over into the other. One vanishes into the other. So if you think through these moments, you get this weird chain where you're saying, okay, it's the wall that's acting on my hand, Mm -hmm. but then my hand has to be there in order to solicit the force from the wall. But wait a minute the wall to be a force on my hand has to solicit. You have that back and forth. Each plays the role of solicitor and solicited. Each plays the role of active and passive. 
And there's a really important implication to all of that, which comes about in 140, which is that if active and passive, if that distinction breaks down, the form content distinction breaks down as well. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, I just want to point out this talk about media. Since we've been giving these concrete examples, people might have lost track that we're really talking about abstract forces. So even if we're saying a billiard ball hits another billiard ball, we're not talking about the interaction between two billiard balls. We're talking about the interaction between one force and another force. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that he talks about this is that the solicited force opens itself up to be an universal medium for the expression of the other force. In other words, if we think that forces are invisible, not like billiard balls, then the fact that one billiard ball is causing a little mess in the other one, is causing some compression. Uh, compression or whatever in the other one, the other one, that force that the recipient represents is serving as a medium, right? Otherwise, this force would have no way to display itself to the world. The medium and the matters are just the phenomena. It's everything that we see happening. So it's the motion of the billiard balls. It's the compression of the billiard balls. It's anything that's actually manifested as opposed to the invisible side of this equation. Well, I'd like to actually press on that a little bit and be a little more clear. What Hegel's saying here is that in the first two stages of sense certainty and perception, we were dealing with appearances. So a billiard balls, appearances, some sort of phenomenon, as we've used the term. When you move to the concept of force, you're positing something which is not an appearance, which is transcendent or beyond the world of appearances. That's really where truth is. That's the object of the understanding that we should be going after, right? The dialectical move is from sense certainty to perception, you are still within appearances. When you start positing something that's driving the appearances, but is not something that you actually see in appearance, you're positing something beyond it. And he says, oh, okay, so now we have this thing we're calling force, which is somehow beyond. But then his point, what you were just saying, Mark and Wes, is it only has its expression through appearances. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's going to drive another dialectical move where it's like, how can we even talk about something as abstract, universal, unconditioned, when in fact, we still have to make recourse to appearances in order to be able to explain it. And the explanation actually turns out to be tautological to some extent. Yeah, what you're saying is really important because this concept of force transforms the notion of appearance. Mm -hmm. It's no longer just something static. It inserts the beyond and the in itself into appearance in a way. This will become clearer later, but the force is a stepping stone to the beyond, to the world of law. It suggests that there's something more to the appearances than just the images themselves, right? Or the static images of things. There's something going on underneath that all. But the interesting dynamic that we have at present is this dynamic between the invisible one force proper and then the medium slash matters, which again, it's worth just repeating for listeners, which is just the phenomena. It's everything that manifests itself as a result of force. Those two things are actually within force itself. They are moments of force. And as we try to illustrate with our examples, you can't simply just separate them and say, here's the force, here's the effect. That doesn't work. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.